Welcome to another episode of Mental Health Mondays. It is the week of January 23rd. Congratulations making it another week. I say it every single episode, but seriously, thank you so much. I didn't like what I just did there. That was very broadcaster voice me. I don't want to sound like a broadcaster. I want to sound like myself. It's something I've been noticing when I listen back to things. I'm like, it doesn't really sound like me. I want it to be authentic and real. So that sniffle was real. No, I'm feeling great. Um, Yeah, congratulations making it through another week. You know I say that all the time, but it's important. Got to take the small victories in life for sure. Um, Yeah, dude. Just plugging along. Same shit as usual. Uh, feel like I'm I'm kind of proud of myself. I've been sticking to my goals that I had set out to achieve this year as far as waking up every morning, 6 o'clock, hitting the gym before I start my day. And it just it's definitely alleviating some certain stress. It doesn't eliminate everything. That's one thing. It's like... Exercise is super important in mitigating mental health symptoms, anxiety, depression, for sure. Scientifically proven to, you know, re- reduce cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone, all that good shit, for sure, 100%. But it doesn't take care of everything. It doesn't mean like if you start working out that all your problems are going to disappear and your stress is going to disappear, your anxiety is going to go away. Life is still happening, even if you're working out every day, but it does help. Definitely not saying don't do it. Uh, And it's definitely been helping me. And it's just like, for me, other than the fact that I know I feel more confident about myself um, when I'm like feeling like I'm in pretty good shape or at least getting in pretty good shape, uh, it's just like achieving. it's, it's, It's the same principle of, if you ever heard like, always make your bed in the morning. It was really, pop. it's a popular thing. But especially I feel like back in the day, people were always talking about that. I think some Marine or something, that was his thing. Like, always make your bed when you wake up in the morning. Remember my brother telling me this years ago. Because at least the first thing you did that day, you achieved something. You start your day off by achieving something. That's the way I view uh, having been, like, working out every day. Is that no matter what, I did something super hard today. I pushed myself today. And the rest of the day, I just have a little bit of a lingering feeling of, like, I accomplished something. And that's important, even if you're tricking yourself. I think that having anxiety and depression i think i think tricking yourself sometimes can be a useful tool in reducing your anxiety your stress your depression and one way that i found that works for me that i've talked about before is like something as simple as cutting my hair that's what i was just doing before this you could see a little little redness still a little irritation i had to use an old razor but it seems silly and trivial, but the whole like look good, feel good, play good, I think that's there's definitely truth to that. And I know that especially as a younger guy who went bald, whatever, um, shit happens. <laughs> um, especially having like gone bald at an earlier age, when I start when my the hair starts growing and I look like Gallagher and I or I look like my old stepdad with just absolutely nothing on the top and like quite a bit of hair on the sides and my beard gets a little gangly and start growing neck hair. I just feel like shit. I feel less confident. I feel worse about myself and in turn worse about everything, which again, seems like a silly thing, but it's as simple as, okay, once a week, I know that I'm going to have this time, set this time aside to like groom myself and just like know that I feel more confident when I look a little better. And so that's a, that's a message. Go get a haircut. Go treat yourself. Guys, get a pedicure, get a manicure. It feels fantastic. But it's also just knowing that you're keeping up with this fleshy cell suit that we wear um, that is guarding our inner demons and struggles and battles and our soul. We do have to take care of this. So that's just one easy way of just like maintain. You got to maintain. You got to take care of yourself. And I think it does help. I think it goes a long way. I know that I feel more confident now after I cut my hair than I did when I got home from the gym. And I'm like, Jesus, I just went out in public like this. And also, don't judge yourself. It's okay. You're a human being. It doesn't matter. You're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. You're going to have flaws. But when you can put in the initiative to take care of yourself, that's just another thing off your list of, okay, I made my bed today. 
I went to the gym. I feel good about how I'm looking, how I'm presenting myself to the world, and ultimately how you're how you're presenting yourself to yourself. Great quote from Family Matters. Remember the show Urkel? Everyone, I feel like people just call Family Matters Urkel from a certain generation. Like, oh yeah, I used to love watching Urkel. It's not called Urkel. It's Family Matters. But the dad in Family Matters. There's a great quote. Shout out to my buddy Danny. He always. I think he had. He has a tattoo of a like a switchblade, like a shaver, because the quote is, "You can't shave with your eyes closed," and basically just meaning hold yourself to a high standard of integrity. Always do right by yourself. Always do right by others, because you can't shave with your eyes closed. You can't close your eyes and look into the mirror. You have to be willing and able to stare in the mirror and see the person staring back at you and think, yeah, that's that's a good man. That's a good woman. That's a respectable person. That's someone who always tries to do the right thing. That's someone who goes the extra mile. It's like it's like the phrase, like, whatever helps you sleep at night, but in an actual way. When you go to bed at night, when you lay your head down in the pillow and all those thoughts start racing, and of course, negative ones are going to creep in, but can they be overwhelmingly or, you know, can the majority of them be positive? Can you look back at your day, your week, your life thus far and think, yeah, I'm doing my fucking best to be a good person, do right by me, by my family, by my relationships, and add some sort of brightness and positivity, positivity uh, into the world. Can't shave with your eyes closed. It's funny. Sometimes I sit down and I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to talk about. Actually, every week. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I have a couple sips of coffee and just see where it takes me. But I have not thought about that quote in so long, but I just shaved my head and my face. And then just talking, just spur of the moment, stream of consciousness, that came back to me. It's interesting. We don't know the moments that are going to like connect with us long term. Never did I think in that moment, well, I, I maybe I did. I guess obviously when Danny told me that, that dope quote, I was like, oh, I like that. But like, I didn't think that years later I'd be sitting down talking to myself on a podcast about can't shave with your eyes closed. But that's a good one, especially for guys. I feel like, unfortunately, I keep speaking about things from the male point of view, but that's because I am a man. And I can, there are certain aspects of anxiety and depression that are universal, regardless of your gender or your identity. And then there are things that are uniquely male, female, trans, whatever, you know, we all deal with different things. But just from the perspective of a male, I think that it's becoming more and more mainstream that it's okay to have feelings and feel them and express them. And it's actually more like, like, it's not, this isn't what it's all about, but just a disclaimer to you boys, women find it much more attractive when a guy can control his feelings and understand them and grasp them and express them much more than that old bullshit stoic like you know nothing affects me persona yeah a little bad boy like I, I understand that like every girl likes a bad boy to a certain extent but as far as like respecting you as a man when you are actually in tune with your feelings and again can express them can experience them fully don't hold back on feeling things. Women find that attractive. A partner, not, you know, whatever it is. So I'm just speaking as a straight male, but like any human, whether it be a friend or a potential romantic partner, is going to latch onto that and appreciate that. Um, especially because men have this reputation of not being in touch with their feelings, not feeling comfortable to express them. I think it's important to just let go of all of that. It all comes back to our ego, especially for men. We have this, this self-written prophecy of being a certain way, being like the protector of our homes and our families. And I think those are all positive masculine traits that we should embrace. But we got to get rid of the whole, you know, you can't cry. I, that's fucking ridiculous. I even held myself back from crying the other day. And it wasn't like... It wasn't like uh, I didn't, it was because I was ashamed or I didn't want to express myself or I didn't want to feel that. I embraced the moment of feeling that feeling that brought me on the verge of tears. But then I like suppressed the tears because I just, I was headed somewhere. Like I didn't want to have just cried or whatever it was. It was driving. The car is a great place to cry. Um, 
But looking back, it's like, that's clearly your body is like, please release this. I would enjoy if you just fucking let liquid flow from your eyes for five to 10 minutes. It's going to feel good for you. It's going to feel therapeutic. And I'm sure there are like actual scientific. Let's, let's look it up because I now have the ability to, I have the computer here. So let's see. What are the benefits of crying? The first thing that came up with what are the benefits of Kratom? I don't know what that shit is. Something fake probably. So the health benefits, the health benefits of crying detoxifies the body. There are three different types of tea. Oh, I got to fucking click on this bullshit. Oh man. Oh man. Let's see. Number one, it detoxifies the body. There are three different types of tears. Reflex tears, continuous tears, emotional tears. Reflex tears, clear debris like smoke and dust from your eyes. That's <laughs> it's funny because I had no idea what I was going to read before I started reading it. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Continuous tears lubricate your eyes and help protect them from infection, obviously. Emotional tears may have many health benefits. Um, whereas continuous tears contain 98% of water, or 98% water, emotional tears contain stress hormones and other toxins. There you go. Crying's the answer. Just let the fucking tears flow. Researchers have theorized that crying flushes these things out of your system, though more research is needed in this area. Obviously, it's not foolproof. It's not like if you cry, you're going to get toxins out of your body, but it does help. All right, number two is help self-soothe. Crying may be one of your best mechanisms to self-soothe. Researchers have found that crying activates the parasympathetic nervous system. The PNS helps your body rest and digest. The benefits aren't immediate, however. It may take several minutes of shedding tears before you feel the soothing effects of crying. You ever fucking really gone through a crying fit do it's like when you're when you're really crying you're you almost have no control of your body like it's this feeling you can feel emotion literally coursing through every little atom of your flesh it's such a crazy feeling i i <laughs> i'm not gonna cry in here but i really want to cry now because it's been so long and i miss i almost miss crying it's fantastic um Number three is it can dull pain. Crying for long periods of time releases oxytocin and, and endogenous opioids, otherwise known as endorphins. These feel-good chemicals can help ease both physical and emotional pain. Once the endorphins are released, your body may go into somewhat of a numb stage. That's what I was talking about a second ago. Oxytocin can give you a sense of calm or well-being. It's another example of how crying is a self-soothing action. I wonder if that's why our biological response, especially when you're young. I haven't cried from physical pain in so long Now I was thinking about it. I can't even remember the last time because I'm so fucking tough and strong. No, I don't mean it like that, but I just can't even remember. Um, I haven't cried from physical pain in a while, but I wonder if that's the biological reason that we shed tears when in immense physical... Like if you were to break your fucking... What's this one? The big leg bone. Sound like an idiot. Um, if you were to... Like that's supposedly like the most painful thing you can go through. But I guess crying actually does help soothe pain a little bit scientifically. That's kind of cool. It improves your mood along with helping you ease pain. Crying, specifically sobbing, may even lift your spirits. When you sob, you take in many quick breaths of cool air. Ah, <laughs> okay, makes sense. <laughs> I had to test it out. Breathing in cooler air can help regulate and even lower the temperature of your brain. A cool brain is more pleasurable to your body and mind than a warm brain. As a result, your mood may improve after a sobbing episode. So you want your brain to be cool, not warm. Makes sense, I suppose. This one's rally support, I guess, because it's, it's saying, like, if you cry, other people will notice and be like, hey, it's okay, buddy. Um, six is helps you recover from grief. Grieving is a process. It involves periods of sorrow, numbness, guilt, and anger. Ain't that the truth? Crying is particularly important during periods of grieving. It may even help you process and accept the loss of a loved one. Everyone goes through the grieving process in different ways. If you find that your crying is extreme or starting to interfere with your everyday life, it might be a good idea to check in with your doctor. Imagine that. Like, not on some mental health shit, but, like, going to the doctor and be like, hey, I'm, uh, my crying is now affecting my everyday life. I can't stop crying. Um, restores emotional balance. Crying doesn't only happen in response to something sad. Sometimes you may cry when you are extremely happy, scared, or stressed. Uh, Yale University researchers believe crying in this way may help to restore emotional equilibrium. When you're incredibly happy or scared about something and cry, it may be your body's way to recover from experiencing such a strong emotion. Makes sense. I don't have to read all these, do I? Yeah, the, ne the next two are about babies. My point being, 
that recently I suppressed myself from crying and it wasn't, again, it wasn't on like, it wasn't like, I don't want to cry. I don't care about that. Clearly I'm talking openly about all this shit. Um, I just didn't want to physically actually have tears, but now it's like, fuck, I held myself back from some therapeutic shit. So let the tears flow guys. It's okay. That's something that my dad instilled in me very early. Lost him when I was 15 years old. Not a day goes by where I don't think about lessons that he taught me. And it's so crazy because it's unfortunate that I had such a short time with him. And I don't know that, especially especially being that I only had him from ages 0 to 15, that during that time, you're just a kid. And you're not thinking necessarily like maybe at 15 you're just starting to have like complex thoughts about that kind of stuff like actually being able to digest oh he's teaching me a life lesson or like i'm gonna always remember this moment but not really not quite um so it's it's odd that like every day since then little bits of knowledge that he gave me shine through in my life and i'm so grateful that i had such an amazing role model as him but that's something he instilled in me super early on that like he always used to say like real men cry, which he was an emotional motherfucker, but like, which also he would not like me saying that he wasn't about the swearing thing, which is funny because now I swear all the time. But um, yeah, he was super in tune with his emotions, almost to a detriment at times, probably um, not 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 saying anything negative about him or like that it was a bad thing. But I think. I don't know. I don't. I guess. I guess it wasn't almost to a detriment. It's just he was one of those dudes that he was a tough guy. He was, he was a. He definitely had a certain bit of machismo to him. As far as like, I remember him coming to. So my parents split when I was younger, and then me and my mom moved upstate from. We lived in the suburbs in New York City, kind of like an hour outside of New York, and then me and my mom moved to Rochester. Which, if you're watching this now, you probably know that already. But, um, for anyone else. And so it wasn't always, and he was always involved in my life early on where he like always coached my sports teams. He was an incredible athlete that skipped a generation. I wasn't a bad athlete, but not nearly to his level of being the best at everything his whole life. Um, but anyways, it just sports was like a thing we bonded over. But so when I moved, it was like definitely a difference in not having him there at every game, but he tried his best to always be there and you know it's a five-hour drive from where we used to live to rochester so like it wasn't always the easiest and he was certainly wasn't made of money um but he always tried to show up when he could and i remember certain times where like you know he because other men around other fathers were around he doesn't know these people he's the dad showing you know the what i don't know i don't know if this was going through his head but he's like the distant you know, I don't have custody father showing up to the game and all these other dads who are always there, you know, I don't know, fraternizing and shit. And he would literally physically, I remember like put on a mean face and puff his chest out. And like, he had like, he wasn't like full of tattoos or anything, but he had like a tattoo and an earring and like a goatee. Like he looked like if you didn't know him, that he might be that guy. And it's just funny because he was he was that guy, but also had this he was a fucking teddy bear at my dad's funeral. Everyone that gave a speech that wasn't me. And I think I might have even said it, too, was like they all mentioned that he gave the best hugs. Like, that's the kind of guy he was. That's the legacy he left behind is that he was such a sweet, warm person that one of the things people remember most about him was that he gave great bear hugs. And he was a big man. Um but he just, he always instilled in me that, like, show your emotion. It's okay. You like, I, I hesitate to say the term crybaby because I'm here preaching, show your emotion, and you should. He didn't want me to be a crybaby or anything like that. Like, there were times where he, as a father should probably, be like, all right, toughen up. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. You're going to get past this. Um whatever issues I had up to the age of 15, which before then was, you know, life is literally nothing. It's you're just getting led around to different places and doing things. You're just finally starting to find your own interests and like have opinions about things. Um, 
but yeah, he always he always instilled that in me to like be a man that follows your heart, use your head, but follow your heart. And I'm so grateful that he that he 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 did he said those things. And I I wonder I sit back and I wonder did he know did he know how important what he was saying is or is that just the role of a father to use every moment that you can to instill positive life lessons in your child especially a father son relationship there's something really special about that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't ask him. And that's something that eats me up is like those little questions of like, did you know how good of a dad you were? Because he was the fucking best. No question about it. You know, I, you know, anyone who has a good relationship with their dad would say I had the best father. Obviously, we all, you know, if you had a a good relationship with your dad growing up and you're blessed enough to do that, because that's not everyone. Clearly, obviously, we all say the best. But I mean, I mean it when I say I could not have had a better father figure in my life. And I like to think that, I mean, my mom was amazing too. So that's not to take anything away from her. I am the man I am today because of my mom. But also, I am. I like to think that all of the positive male traits that I have came from my father. And he was the best. And I miss him. I miss him. I miss him dearly. He was the fucking best. Grief is a strange thing. Grief is a real strange thing. Because the other day, for the first time in a while, I thought about my dad. It's not that I think about him constantly, but I wonder if if you've lost someone, if you can identify with this feeling. I was driving in the car, and I had a, a flashback to a memory that I genuinely don't think I've ever thought about since it happened. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything incredible. It was just a moment of me and my dad together. And I could see his face so vividly, and I could feel his presence, and I could hear his voice more vividly. And It was like, it almost made me feel like before having this memory, that for a long time I had really forgotten the actual image of my father that I had in my head. And it was such a powerful moment. And it just came from nowhere. And grief is funny like that. I mean, it's been over 10 years now since I lost my dad. And still I have moments where it just hits me, like out of nowhere, out of the blue, I'm just driving. I wasn't thinking about him at all until just something came to my head. And I felt him fully. And it, I almost started crying. That was the time that I, time recently that I was like, all right, chill, chill. You got, you got shit to do. Um, but yeah, I, it hit me like a ton of bricks and I almost started crying. And it was just such a warm, beautiful moment to really be present with the essence of who my father was to me in that sec- split second. And it made me feel like it's been years since I've thought of him in that particular way. You know what I mean? Like I have this image of my dad in my head and I miss him dearly. And he's, as I just explained, he was the best father I could ever have asked for. And he's amazing, and I hold him dear to my heart all the time. I think about him constantly when I'm like, just little little shit, big shit. I'm, he's always in my head. But that moment was so different. Like, I really, it was almost like something else tapped in, and it was him in my head for a second. And it was incredible. But it's it's just funny because it's been so long. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It just it, it just was so strange. It was so strange for him to come to me in that moment in that way. Um and again, it, it just it felt like a totally new perspective on him that I haven't felt like in a long time or I haven't thought of him in that way in such a long time. Um and I'm grateful that it happened. It was nice. It was nice. Grief is strange. Um because like it is genuinely a constant thing. Once, When you lose someone that matters to you in that way, it is such a roller coaster. It's up and down from the, you know, from I'm talking from the moment that you lose this person, the moment this person dies. And 
that mo the most intense part of the grief, of course, comes around that time period. Of course, depending on the situation. For me, it was he had terminal cancer. We knew it was coming. So there was some sort of process of acceptance and stuff towards the end, you know, th because there was like three days in a row where it's like, oh, he's going to, this is it. Um, but yeah, that, you know, and then that first week, those first weeks, those first months, that first year is the most intense it's going to be, of course, because it's right there and not anything has happened to distract you yet. Not nothing is, that is the everything in your head for a long time. And then as time goes on, it does become different. It doesn't become easier. I, I, I don't know. I guess it does become me. I think people, including me, because I just said it, I think we hesitate to say things like grief gets easier. And we say things like it doesn't get easier. It gets different because it's almost like we don't want the legacy of that person to be forgotten or it's like, you know, I, like it's almost like admitting that it's gotten easier over time is like doing a disservice to how much you really do love and miss this person. But I don't think that's true. It, I think it is true that it does get slightly easier over time. Not that it's ever easy. It just gets easier because you find new ways of processing the grief and processing, you know, those missed moments or ha wanting more time with this person and all these. And every situation is different. I guess I'm, I'm only speaking from my perspective, but... You know, there are times where I have felt guilty. That wasn't a fart, by the way. It was the chair. I swear to God. There are times <laughs> that I have almost felt guilty not being sadder about it. Not in the beginning. In the beginning, I was fuck a mess for a long time. And still, to this day, there are certain things I probably haven't fully accepted or processed. But for a long time, I almost felt guilty not crying all the time, not being in a dark room with blankets over my head, just beside myself constantly. And I have had to like forgive myself almost over time of of letting some of that grief go. You never let the memory of the person go. Like I said, that just came to my head out of the blue because my dad's always with me and I love him so much and I miss him so much and that'll never change. But you almost have to have a certain sense of grace and forgiveness with yourself of like, hey, it's okay to let go a little of that. Sometimes it feels good to pull it back out when you need to and cry about it. And it, like we just read, it's it can be therapeutic. But that can't be your forever. And as cheesy as it may sound, regardless of how you feel about the afterlife or what comes next, that person would not want you distraught constantly. If you had a good relationship with that person, there's no fucking way. There's no way. They would want you to move on to a certain extent. I don't think anyone wants to be forgotten, um, obviously. But, like, to a certain extent, you do, you know, you, you're almost doing their legacy a disservice by not getting over it a little. When I thought it was the opposite. I thought that if I start to move on mentally from this loss, at least in a, a sense of like actually accepting it and and not always being so sad about it and letting some of the memories be positive and not negative that I'm hurting the legacy of my father and I, I feel like I should I should be depressed about this. And of course, there was a period of time where I actually was. But since then, it's like I'm not necessarily fucking depressed about it anymore i miss him and i love him and there are times where i feel like crying about it and there are times where i'm mad at the world like that's a natural part of grief and my overall point being that whether it had been the day he died where i ran out into my yard and cried and screamed in the sky and then literally fell asleep it was the craziest thing i literally had this intense emotional reaction to it and then fell asleep in my yard which or with, you know, for what felt like three hours, probably was 10 minutes. But my brain, my body literally shut off. It was like, dude, we need to hit the hard reset. Whether it be that day one or day whatever it is now, 12, 13 years later, 14. Holy shit, this will be 14 years coming up um, in April. It's always going to be ebb and flow. It's always going to. And you have to like give yourself, have your, have grace with yourself and let yourself, let the emotions ebb and flow. 
It's okay. It's okay to get over something. Getting over something doesn't mean that you don't care. It just means that you're ready to move on and process that thing, that trauma, that problem in a different way. And it's imperative that you do accept that and let yourself do that. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in the mud forever. And no one wants that, including the person that you lost. So, yeah, dude, I miss him. I miss him so much. I, I You know, for selfish reasons, I miss him because... As a guy, as a man, it's like not having my dad here to ask him certain questions of how he would have dealt with something like this or has he ever been through something like this himself. Um, and especially, I've talked about this a lot, but as I've gotten older, the questions change that I want to ask my dad and that I can't because he's not here. You know, when I was 15, it might have been like, I think when I when I first lost him, it was just missing him because he wasn't there, because I love him, because he's my dad, because you're supposed to be sad. But as I've gotten older, it's like the more moments he's missed in my life, the more the questions start to change. It's like, would you approve of this? Would you want me to do this? Not that it matters. It it, it doesn't matter um, in the sense of that it should change how I act or anything. I mean, sometimes, I don't know. I guess maybe that's not true. Maybe sometimes... You think, I trust what this person's moral judgment was, and I wonder how he'd feel about this. And maybe use it to adjust what you're doing. That's fine. Um, but I wonder, you know, I just, what would you think about this? What would you think about how I handled this? Because I respected you so much as a man. I wonder if you were in my shoes, what you would do. And, you know, I, I remember... God, this is, wow, I almost actually just started crying. Um, I remember being in my friend's basement. The basements are the best, by the way. That's where my room was. It was dope. Um, it's in my buddy's basement, and him and his dad also had a super close relationship. Different than mine, but close. And because he had a great father, and his dad was involved. And, you know, so similar enough to where I could parallel certain things. And they were talking about something. My dad was still alive, um, but he was sick. He was in the process of getting sicker. And I remember they were talking about something, and we were watching some wildlife show on on TV, like some fishing show, like a you know you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that's something me and my dad used to love doing, which I haven't done since he died. Fished once since he died. And I don't know if that's because I'm avoiding it or just because he knew what he was doing and I didn't. So I don't know, you know, it's a funny thing. Anyways, watching this fishing show and him and his dad are talking about it. And I just am there absorbing that moment and knowing that in a few months, my dad's not going to be here. And I remember calling him like right away. And being like, hey, I'm I'm watching this fishing show, or whatever. Like, I found where we're like where our next spot is. It's blah, blah blah, you know. And both of us just like we're like, yeah, that would be great. That'll be great. And it was like both of us accept in that moment that we're lying to each other, because we knew that that moment would never come, because he was already diagnosed that he only had six months to a year. But it was goes back to what I said earlier. Sometimes tricking yourself is okay for the moment you can't do it forever you can't lie to yourself forever but just for a moment it might be a band-aid for your situation just just fantasizing just i don't know if that's an, a positive thing to be telling people to do but it helped me in that moment at least where i saw my buddy interacting with his dad and i was really sad about it and then i called my dad and was like hey knowing this is impossible next year we should go here to go fishing and just both of us being like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, that'll be great. We love doing that together. I can't wait. And I'm, I can't even imagine. I'm sure that it tore him apart inside. But in the same moment, I think we both shared a certain moment of like, like, we know that this isn't the case, but damn, would we love it to be true. And... I don't know. We kind of, we kind of, that's like a weird little father son moment that I don't think many people have ever had 
or I guess unless you've gone through a similar situation, but it was just like us lying to each other, kind of honestly, as simple as that. It wasn't until he got sicker that he started being more open about it with me because again, I was young. I mean, I had just turned 15 when he died earlier that month. He died on April 29th. My birthday's April 7th. So I just turned 15, which means that for the most most of the process of him getting really sick and like deteriorating in front of me, I was 14 years old. And so I think obviously any, I think, you know, it's pretty ob- like a understandable reaction as a father that he wouldn't be super upfront with me about the process of him leaving me forever and or like the acceptance maybe he hadn't accepted it either but i think that he never wanted to admit to me that like this is reality and there but then as he got sicker there were certain moments one being one being um he so when he got sick he came to live with me and my mom instead of like spending his last months in a hospital my mom's a registered nurse incredible nurse so she was like yeah we converted our whole dining room into like a hospital room he had a hospital bed all the fixings all the shit that you know he would need to a certain extent um and but yeah so we're just hanging out in his room the dining room but it was his room and he was like you got a car out there for you buddy and you know it's his car um and it wasn't like, he wasn't like, I'm going to give it to you when I buy an, a new one. It was like, this is, you know, this was like the first moment that he admitted to me that he was not going to be here forever. And he was like, yeah, he was just like, you got a car out there. That's going to be your car. And I don't remember in that moment. I think, I think, I don't know. You know, it's hard for me to remember because now I'm such a deep person or like so super into my emotions. I've always was an emotional kid and stuff, but like now I'm so good at expressing it and I'm such a realist and I'm such a like, that's reality and I'm going to be sad about it, but I'm, I, I, I don't struggle with accepting the truth. I don't remember if I did then. I think probably because that happened at such a young age that that was the catalyst of that change in my brain of like, life can be fucking rough sometimes, dude. That just is what it is. I don't remember what my reaction was at the time, but I'm what I think my reaction was, was like, holy shit. He just told me he was going to die. Finally. It's like, I've known, we've known, we've all known, but he never, I was still his baby boy. You know, I was, I was like the pride of his life. Everyone I meet that knew my dad had a relationship, my dad and his adult life. All they ever say, was like, he loved you so much. You have no idea how much he loved you. And, I was like the only thing he talked about to anyone. And um Yeah, I don't I'm sorry. Um <laughs> I uh that was the first moment was just that little sentence of that car is going to be yours. It's not like he knew I wasn't dumb. So always kind of a little ahead of my age as, as far as like like ment- mentally ahead of my age. Like, you know, oh, I don't know what the way to say it. Like I was mentally a grown up pretty early on because I had my siblings who were all older and they corrupted me. But so it's like he knew I could understand what he meant by that, but he still never could like fully give in. And I, we never really had a conversation that was like, at least not that I can remember. I'd love to unlock it if it's there somewhere in my brain. But we never really had that conversation of like, I'm not going to be here much longer. But that little sentence of that car is going to be yours was that. And I remember being like, holy shit, he finally said something. And then as time went on, like he was sick. I mean, also this is 14 years ago. Things have changed. Things are different. Who knows if this exact situation, this exact cancer would have happened today? Because it was a very rare, it was skin cancer that seemed like it was nothing. It was more um cosmetic than anything but then it spread a little and he had a surgery when i was really young i didn't even know what was going on and then 
years later it came back and then he, he they took it out again and then years later it came back to the point of it metastasized to his bone marrow and his lymph nodes from his, a little tumor on his cheek and that's when they they cut his whole uh, if you're watching the podcast they went from right to the cr the crest of his nose around up towards his eye around his whole face down his chin line to about the middle of his face they cut that they skin it was, i think it's called the skin flap flapped it open took the tumor out and then sewed his face back on so he always had this big scar um i don't remember where i was going with this uh, i guess he, yeah he he never really admitted even though we knew to me, like he never admitted to me hey i'm almost gone until that moment and then as he got sicker obviously no denying it and he knows i know it's not hiding anything from me um as he got sicker and time went on he started definitely again looking back on it, it's like now as an adult it's like why didn't we have him you know talking to a therapist or a priest more often or try things like now terminal patients are like doing things like psychedelic therapy where it's like a, they get a different grasp of reality and of of their time on earth and of what might be next um, you know, it's just, this was just not during this time. It just felt like that was, it just didn't exist. At least in my 14 year old mind, I didn't know any of that. Obviously I wasn't in control of any of this, but he definitely, as time went on, started to become more bitter about his circumstance. And of course, understandably so I totally understand. And there was a time where we had to take him to the doctor. He had more, needed more scans. Of course, when you when you're when your loved one has cancer, you definitely know like would know. It's just fucking test after test after scan after treatment after scan. It's over and over and over and over again. It feels like it never ends. And I can only imagine being the person actually going through that. So in you know in, in my 14 year old head, it's like Jesus, another one. And then in him, it's like oh my god, another one. But also, we knew his fate. We knew there was nothing they could do. But there's still testing and things like that that need to be done. But at that time, he had so many tumors in his chest and his stomach that even like sitting up out of bed was immensely painful. He couldn't be in certain positions for more than a very brief amount of time because of how painful it was. So to get him out of the house, get him in the car, bring him to the hospital to get whatever tests it was that needed to be done, that that's a fucking... For a guy that knows he doesn't have much time left, that's a lot to do. And we got him out of the house. We got him to the hospital. And they had they needed him to sit in a certain position to go into the CAT scan machine. Something like that. Again, this is my 14-year-old memory of it. Um, holy shit. I just realized that I'm 28. He died when I was 15. So this year when I turn 29, it'll officially be that I've lived half my life without him. That's some heavy shit. That's crazy. I just realized that. I just realized that. Anyway, back to the story. Um, we got him there. They're trying to do the scans. The doctor is like trying to calm down. He's like almost throwing a fit um, is the best way I could describe it of like, you know, because he's in so much pain. It's not like he's throwing a fit like he's being ridiculous. It's like this fucking hurts. Like I can't do this. And my mom, God bless her heart was like Frank, like trying to bring him down. Like, you know, like, listen, look at me. It's me. It's your, your love. I'm here talking to you. Frank, we, we need to do this to figure out more about your future. And without missing beat, he just said, what future? And that was the second time that I heard him out loud admit with me around that this was going to end pretty soon. And, you know, I, if I could talk to him right now in some way, I would just, I, other than like all the father-son things that I would want to talk about, the decisions I've made, the things I've seen and gone through and like sharing it with him, I would want to like pick his brain about what that time was like for him. Like what is, what was it like knowing you're going to be leaving me? behind because i'm sure that's what it felt i mean that's how it felt for me 
not like not like he's leaving me behind like the unfortunate cases so many cases of fathers actually leaving their children and then going and living a whole other life but i mean leaving me behind in this world like what was that like as you as a good father someone who cherished their relationship with their son and loved their son unconditionally what was that like for you and what was it like to accept those things? It's just, I was too young nowadays. Like I, when my grandma got really sick, his mom, I had the, the opportunity to visit her a couple more times towards the end. And she always treated me like a baby until like, and really until like those last visits. That's how I felt at least. Not in a bad way. She treated me like a baby, but I was her grand, like I was her grandbaby. I was the youngest. I've always been the youngest in my family. And, but that, that time I straight up pulled her aside and sat on the porch with her and asked her questions, asked her tough questions like that, because I think we don't really, like people want to talk, people want to express themselves. Even that older generation that hesitates to do that. If you just prod, if you pry a little bit, not in a prying man, like not in a clunky way, but if you know how to talk to someone and you can get them to open up a little bit, they like it. It's therapeutic. It feels good. So it was as much for me as it was for her, but I was curious about like, what are you, what are your thoughts on death and the afterlife and certain things that like, <clears throat> I know that I ultimately I regret if I didn't get to ask you this particular question before our time is over with you. Um, and you know, that was only a couple years ago as an adult. And I look back and I'm like, fuck, I wish I had the opportunity to ask him certain things like that. Like I would ask him, you know, how are you accepting this? And like, just like, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings about dying, about leaving me behind? And I don't, I don't, I don't mean that to sound like in a selfish way, but I mean, leaving me behind because like, if you're a parent of, you know, when you're 90 years old and you're leaving your kid behind, it's obviously very difficult, but it's like they're an adult. They've lived their whole life. Basically, they have kids, they have all these things, they have a career, all that shit has already happened. You've seen all of it, but leaving me behind, like in such a confusing young state, um, like what was that like for you? Cause I know it was like for me, but I would want to know, I know you're a good father. I know you're a good man. I can only imagine how difficult that is on top of being in pain and accepting that you're going to die. Like all these other emotional aspects of it. I would, I would do, I would give anything to be able to talk to him about that and ask him. And nowadays, if that were to happen today, I would talk to him about that. I would ask him, I would ask him, what do you regret? Like what, what are the, what's, if you had to pick one memory that you could relive, right? You know, that kind of shit. So it's best not to get hung up on that stuff because you'll never get that opportunity. I know I don't, I'll never get that opportunity, at least not in this life. But it is interesting to think about. And maybe it could help in processing grief. Almost, it's like AI now is like incredible. This I don't know if you've seen this shit with like just giving these computer programs subjects, certain things you want to be said. And then a person saying it as themselves, like the Morgan Freeman one that's been going around, like obviously the voice is very accurate, but also like the manner in which he delivers it and stuff. And it's like almost if we could have that AI conversation with someone that we love in our heads that we've lost, I think it could be therapeutic and beneficial. Like if I think about my dad and I ask those questions that I never got to ask, I can kind of piece together what he might have felt. And in that way, it feels like I'm talking to him. Um, and again, it goes back to like a little bit of trickery, fooling yourself just a little bit until you start believing it and start adjusting the way you're perceiving things can be helpful in overcoming anxiety, depression, uh, grief. It's not easy, man. It's still not easy. It gets easier for sure. It's not, it never gets easy, but it does get easier. And if someone tells you it's never going to get easier, uh, you're just going to have to change the way you think about it. Yes, that's true, but that's also, it does get easier. And it's okay to accept that it gets easier. It's just different. I mean, anything that you do for long enough gets easier, even if it's a bad thing. So why wouldn't grief? I just started finally, you know, Again, I go through these spurts of working out a lot, not working out at all, eating shit. It's coming up on like a month of 
getting up every day at six or, you know, five, six days a week at 6 a.m. going to the gym. Obviously, it gets easier. Everything gets easier with practice and time. So why wouldn't grief if you're if you can, whether it be working with a therapist or the people around you that you trust and care and they care about you coming up with something that works for you, a process that works for you when it comes to grief, it will get easier. It's just a matter of time and it's just a matter of trusting the process, but it will get easier. And I'm gl- I'm grateful that it's gotten easier for me. It's ne- again, it's never easy. I fucking miss him, and I always will. I I want to miss him, but I also want to live my life, and I want to be happy. And holding on to the negative side of grief for too long, you can't be happy. It's not possible. But it will get easier and everything's going to be okay. I know that for sure. Everything's going to be okay because everything has to be okay. And that might sound like a fake until you make it thing. Even if it is, I don't know if it fucking matters, if it helps. That's something my mom always says to me. Everything's going to be okay because it has to be. And it always has been and it always will be. Okay meaning on to the next thing. It's this too shall pass. Not saying that. We should take grief or our, the loss of a loved one lightly. When I say this too shall pass, like, oh, I'll get over it. And I don't mean it like that, but I mean like this this really difficult moment that you're going through will pass. And if somewhere in that fit in your brain where you're really going through something and you're crying like we talked about or whatever it might be, you're screaming, when you're really going through it, if you can just trickle in just for a second, this too shall pass. You're going to get through this. Keep keep doing it. Keep feeling that those feelings. But just accept, hey, this is this is not going to be like this forever. It will help you get, get over it. It will help you get through it 1,000%. 1,000 trillion, kajillion percent. Did you just hear that? It's a cool little noise. Oh, man, yeah. See, again, no, I had no idea what I was going to talk about, but things come to you when you just sit down and just talk it out, man. Feel it. It feels good. I feel I feel great right now. I feel so much better just talking through some things, talking through some feelings and thoughts that I had that I didn't even know I had. Like I said, just that that memory of my dad just came to me this past week. And I don't know how or why or I'm not, I don't even care to question it because I enjoyed it so much. But then that ultimately manifested in me really talking through it. And some of these things that I just said, I've never thought of it in that way before. And again, not that this podcast should ever be an excuse to not go to a therapist or a replacement for professional help, which we all should seek, no matter how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing. It's beneficial. It should never be a replacement for that, but I guess it just proves to me and hopefully to you how therapeutic it can be to just sit down and just let it out and just fucking fire off at the mouth. I suggest having a cold brew coffee right beforehand. It helps. But, man, it can really feel great. And it did feel great just now. I, I thank you for listening to me for this long as you, if you have. And I'm sure, you know, this made me think maybe I should really do a breakdown of, like, the whole process of things just because it's an interesting story. And to me, I've been watching, I highly recommend... Uh, the YouTube channel Soft White Underbelly. Uh, I don't know if there's controversy involved with that shit. I don't know. The crux of it is, or not the crux, the uh, the gist of it is this guy who has a studio on Skid Row in LA, like a photo studio, and he was a marketing genius guru guy. He gave all that up to start traveling the country, taking pictures of just like interesting, normal people. Or not necessarily normal, but just interesting people, interesting folks with interesting stories. And then that uh, evolved into him interviewing all these homeless people, these drug addicts and prostitutes and pimps and ex-cons and current cons and ex-cops, dirty cops, all kinds of people. But it's really a sobering thing to hear these people's stories and be like, I've gone through something similar, but holy shit, that's where it could have gone all wrong for me. And so... I know that that helps me. It's therapeutic to me, but also it kind of brings you closer to just humanity as a whole to really hear someone else's story, hear them out and realize like, oh yeah, we all go through crazy shit, just manifest itself differently in everyone's lives. 
Um, so maybe I think maybe not next time, but sometime soon, maybe I'll just straight from the jump tell the story of me and my dad and losing him at an early age and the process of it and things I went through afterwards and all that shit. I guess I kind of touched on it now and it'll be some somewhat repetitive, but really just specifically focus on that. And I again, part of this whole podcast is it's therapy for me to just sit down and talk these things through. And my mind is always going a million miles a minute. That was good alliteration, by the way. And I might use that in the song. My mind is always going a million miles a minute. Um, SpongeBob. Um, my mind's always going a million miles a minute. <laughs> and so it's good to just sit down and just let it go, but ver- verbalizing it, actually vocalizing it, actually getting it out. It's very helpful. And if you can... You know, I mean, not everyone's gonna, not everyone's going to start a podcast and share their deepest mental health secrets and shit. But that's what therapy's for. I really highly recommend you go and just let it out. You're not going through this alone. You are not, as much as it feels like that sometimes. You're not. So just accept that and fucking keep pushing and let it all out, dude. Cry. That's I think one of my goals for this week is to fucking set a time some. T- Set aside some time to just actually fucking cry it out. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm going through different things, but like, like you know, still the, my dad and then just fucking, I don't know. I'm going through life shit, just like all of us are. But just a good cry, dude. Throw on that crying playlist, that sad song. Look, the tough part for me is like I'm almost desensitized to that because most of my music's kind of sad and also... Just as a consumer of music, I enjoy the sadder stuff typically because it sounds more pleasing to my ears sonically. Um, so I'm almost desensitized, but just letting yourself get to that place and feeling vulnerable enough to let the tears flow, dude. It's fucking therapeutic. It's good stuff. So uh, maybe that's what I'll do this week. <laughs> what are your plans for the week? Well, I'm going to cry. That's what, I, um, that's what I'm planning on. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cry this week. You fucking mark your calendars next week i'll have cried already and i believe next week uh good friend zach massachetti is gonna come on the podcast um we'll see i've had jay on before i don't love how it came out like the content of it was great love her she's a great person to talk to about this kind of stuff too um i don't you know just technical stuff lighting and all that shit i don't have a ton of equipment i have more now I have a ton of equipment. <laughs> let, let me th- let me walk back, walk that back a bit. I have too much shit. I don't have necessarily the means, capabilities of like doing all that kind of stuff. Especially because when you watch a podcast, by the way, and there is multiple camera angles, a lot of times that person has a producer, and while shooting the podcast, they are clicking to different cameras based on who's talking and stuff, and it's recording in that way in whatever program they use. At least that's my understanding of it. For Under Umbrellas and like this, there ain't no producer. It's me or it was us. And um, it's just, it's like completely filming and recording things from two different microphones, two different cameras and then, or three, and then splicing them all together afterwards when you edit it. And it's a fucking bitch, dude. It takes so long and it's fine, but like it takes a while. So it's more difficult. So I'm going to have to work out the kinks this week before Zach comes on, hopefully. Um. But yeah, Zach is an incredible. He's a, he's the best man. He's a he's become a good friend, even though we don't see each other all that often. He's become an awesome friend and collaborator. He did the photo shoot for Humania, and he's done a he did a bunch of photo shoots for April ninety four stuff. And every time we're together, just naturally the conversation gets deep, and just like we bounce things off of each other of like this is the way I view the world, or and you know I don't know his whole story. We, we went to the same high school. He was a, He's a couple years younger than I am. But um, his, he, I don't, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna, I guess it's just a spoiler, a teaser. But like, he went through this incredible weight loss journey. He was always a big, big dude in high school. And I don't even know how much weight, incredible amount. And it set him on this whole path of like forming his brand around positivity and motivation and not but not in a corny way in a real way like I did this and like it's possible for anyone and just I'm excited to pick his brain on how it came to that point and 
you know, the things he overcame to get to the place where he is today. And, uh, you know, he's just a good dude. He's just a good person to talk about this kind of shit with. I'm excited to pick his brain, get his perspective on things. And it'll be, it'll be new and interesting to not just listen to me ramble on for an hour, but also someone else ramble on. Um, so I'm excited about that. That'll be next week. And then, um, yeah, dude, I'm plugging away at this music shit. I've been slacking on making content for it, which sucks, but it's difficult. Uh, it's to, uh, No excuses. I've been preaching that this whole year so far. I'll continue to preach that. Absolutely no excuses. It'll be fine um, because I'm going to stop making excuses and just get in here and make shit. But um, even though I haven't been putting out a ton of visual content for that stuff, I have been working on music tirelessly. So hoping to get a new song out at the end of this month or beginning of next month. Got to talk to Tim. Shout out to Tim. Mixes everything. So we'll, we'll see. But the ball is moving. The ball's in mo Whatever it is. Things are happening, man. And I'm excited. Thank you so much for the support, guys. Um, thank you for listening. I hope uh, you could take something from this and apply it to your week until next week. And then hopefully you can take another thing from that one and apply it to yourself. Or if you can, it's just a fucking entertaining to listen to me maybe for an hour because... I have main character syndrome, and I think that my voice is worth being heard. Who knows? But I appreciate you listening, and, uh, you know, share it with your friends. Share it with a buddy that you think maybe needs needs some help, or I don't know. Just uh, let's keep this thing going. Again, thank you so much. I got to remember I got this. You got to remember you got this. And if not, we got this. We, we'll, we'll be there for each other. Got it together. Uh, thank you again. See you next week with a guest. <laughs>